This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Well, I relented. After hearing so much about the Netflix series The Crown, I finally, at the urge of my lovely wife, tuned into season one just a few weeks ago. And boom, I was hooked. My main reasons for passing on it before were, one, I really try to regulate my TV watching, not wanting to dedicate too much time to it, and two, I've just never had much interest in England's royals. I've always been confused and amused about how much the House of Windsor has captured the attention and fascination of my fellow countrymen. I mean, didn't we fight a war to be rid of royal dominion? And we haven't even followed Canada's example of having a sort of distant cousin's relationship with them. And yet, the sovereign and her brood still seem to hold sway over us, though we haven't been subjects of the crown for over 200 years. But nonetheless, the series The Crown is a masterful work, weaving history and fiction together in a remarkably compelling tale. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you know that one thing we really enjoy here is exploring the sacred when it is embedded in the mundane. One of our earliest programs was on the way religion was offered in The Simpsons. I've been paying attention to how religion is also portrayed in The Crown. As you might know, the reigning sovereign is not only the head of state, but the titular head of the Church of England. So I thought I'd invite someone who knows a bit more than I do to discuss the subject of the series. So with us here today is Father Christian Brocato, who is a priest in the Anglican Communion here in the United States. That is, he is Episcopalian. A little bit about uh, Father Brocato. He is originally from Helena, Arkansas, and his education consists of time spent at the University of Cincinnati, University of Minnesota, and the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis. And currently, he is the rector of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in downtown Grand Rapids. So we welcome to Common Threads, Christian Bricado. Hello, Christian. Hello, Fred, and uh, thanks for having me on. Certainly, certainly. We, I appreciate that. When I was thinking of people uh, who might... Uh, be someone to speak on this, you were the first person that came to mind, and I something told me you were a fan as well. So <laughs> that's why I reached out, and you indicated immediately that you're a fan of the crown. So let's, let's talk about the Anglican Communion uh, right off so we, we understand exactly uh, uh, what we're dealing with. So you are Episcopalian, um, you are part of what is called the Anglican Communion. So first, let's go way back. And, you know, it's interesting, the the uh, very first time, I remember it was probably in high school maybe, maybe college, but probably high school, where I heard of the Church of England 
It was explained to me by a Catholic. And tell me if you are familiar with this real shorthand version of the so-called history of the Anglican Church. And that is that King Henry was uh, a Catholic. Yeah, Henry VIII, he was a Catholic. He wanted a divorce. The, the Catholic Church wouldn't let him have a divorce, so he said, to heck with you guys, I'll just start my own church. So he starts the Church of England, which is similar to Catholicism, but except he's the head and he gets to divorce and dispatch as many wives as he wants to. I suspect I'm, I'm missing something <laughs> in that history. <laughs> <laughs> and you know uh, no yeah. no wait, have you have you heard that before it, it, it is it is uh, the common notion among lots and lots of people uh however um let's just go back a little bit to the worldwide anglican communion and uh, to address that kind of first but the the communion itself is the third largest christian communi- communion in the world and with over 85 million members in many many different countries um and you know, it's it's taken a while for that to develop, but the kind of the misnomer is that Henry did found the Church of England, but it's simply not true. Um, Henry, as you stated, was was Catholic, Roman Catholic, and in many ways lived and died um, a practicing Catholic. Apparently, his prayer book was in is in, was in Latin, and he attended services mass in in Latin. Um, but when he broke with Rome, and just prior to his breaking with Rome, he had been given the the, the great title of Defender of the Faith uh, in, in England. So um, he was very much attached uh, to to, the, to to Rome uh, and, and certainly to the papacy. Yes, it, it, is, it is true that when he wanted to get a divorce, he, because the Roman Church doesn't allow divorce, um, he did break with Rome. But the history of the Church of England dates back all the way to at least at least the end of the first century or the second century, uh, with the Celtic tradition, which eventually evolved into what we would call today the Church of England. Um, in, in, in addition, um, Augustine of Canterbury was sent from Rome, from the Pope in Rome, in the uh, the late 500s, uh, to officially um, have have a, a, a residential presence, if you will, uh, in the in the British Isles. So that's late fifth 500s. So um, that basically means that the Church of England was was well established even by that time. So when when Henry comes along and, and, and cuts ties with Rome, the Church of England was well established. So he didn't found the, the, the Church of England, nor did he found uh, the Anglican tradition. Um, one thing that's pretty fascinating is that the word, the word Anglican itself can actually be traced back to the Magna Carta in the year 1215, uh, where it talks about uh, uh, the the, Ang- the Anglican Church shall be free, and Anglicana, and it really isn't until the 19th century that that word Anglican um, really came into widespread use, and that was when 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 the communion was being formed in the 19th century with all of these different disparate churches all around the world, by the way, of which the Episcopal churches is just one major part of the Anglican communion. So is there, when I think of Anglicans, I think of Anglicans, 
uh, who are in England or in one of the dominions, people actually refer to themselves as Anglicans. And I also think of Episcopalians if I'm thinking of people in uh, in America. What right. are some of the other uh, denominations that are in communion with the Anglican Church? Well, the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church is is now very much uh, uh, in, in in communion. Um, what that happened a number of years ago now, but it was it was basically determined that there weren't enough distant uh, differences between the two traditions. Um, although there certainly are some subtle differences, um, and uh, there is uh, there's significant dialogue actually with uh, the United Presbyterian Church. I mean, not the Presbyterian, the Methodist Church. Sorry. Um, because of, of uh, again, many similarities. But the truth is, in some ways, the, the Anglican Church, the, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, which are really the same thing, um, it is far more Roman Catholic um, and adheres more to Roman Catholic kinds of, of, of polity and, uh, and even theology in many ways than it does with, with the, the, the more Protestant tradition. So in the 16th century, uh, and, and certainly into the 17th century, the um, the, the 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 hierarchy, the, the church in England, as it as it was, began to talk about itself um, in terms of the middle way, and that is embracing many Roman Catholic practices, theology, the, the historical uh, episcopate, um, uh, the, the creeds, and all of these things that date back to the earliest church, including the early church fathers. So, in many ways, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, is more like the Roman Catholic Church than it would be more like uh, traditional Protestant denominations. Yeah, I've I've actually been in conversations uh, where people did not really like the designation of Protestant placed upon people who were Episcopalian. Right, yeah, and that's true. Uh, in fact, I traditionally don't refer to us... Um, uh, we were when 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 we when the, the Episcopal Church was founded um, after the Revolutionary War, the official title did have Protestant in it. Uh, it was a number of years ago now that the word Protestant was actually uh, was abandoned, if you will. A much more apt word, I think, is Reformed. I mean, the idea, even with Martin Luther. Um, uh, in the early 1500s, was to reform the church from within the church, the Roman church, and not to, not to establish a new denomination. Um, uh, and, and the same thing, I, I would assume, uh, in the early in the in the early 1500s, with the uh, after Henry broke, you know, Cramner and friends, you know, were really crafting um, not so much a completely new tradition, but a, a tradition based on what had gone before. A really significant thing, however, for the Episcopal Church, and, and certainly for Lutheran, the Lutheran Lutheran tradition, is uh, the vernacular. So the idea, you know, widespread in the in the actually in the 1400s and into the 1500s was the need for people to worship in their own native languages, and Rome would have no part of that. I mean that that. As, as you may know, I mean, it wasn't really until the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s um, that uh, Latin was abandoned um, uh, and replaced by the vernacular throughout the world. 
so there are there are many there are many differences and and uh, but I think there are many similarities. I teach a class here um, every year called the Inquirer's class, and uh, and we spend a great deal of time talking about the similarities and the differences between the Anglican tradition of the Episcopal Church uh, and that of the Roman Church. Um, so there are uh, there are many many similarities. Uh, the sacramental life, bishops, priests. Uh, archbishops and, and hierarchical kinds of things, canons, canon law, things like that, which are really very different than some of our uh, uh, more Protestant uh, or Reformed uh, brothers and sisters. You know, what's interesting, too, is if you took a Roman Catholic, a, a garden variety Roman Catholic, and you sent him to an Episcopal uh, communion service, uh, I would sus- and then... The next Sunday, you sent him to uh, a Catholic Church of the Eastern Rite, uh, uh, such as Ukrainian Catholic uh, or Romanian Catholic. I would suspect that that person, once he experienced both uh, liturgies, would feel much more comfortable and at home in your Episcopalian service as opposed to an Eastern Rite service, which, although they are in communion with Rome, uh, their their liturgies are very much like Eastern Orthodox. Correct, yeah. In fact, most Roman Catholics who visit St. Mark's um, will say to me, and like in the receiving line, wow, it, it, it just felt the same to me. And, and indeed, the structure of the liturgy is essentially the same. Um, you know, there's an opening rite, there's the liturgy of the Word, there's the, the communion liturgy or the liturgy of the Holy Eucharist, there's the reception of the sacrament, uh, bread and wine, that we both refer to as the body and blood of Jesus, or the body and blood of Christ, um, and the dismissal. So the structure of the liturgy looks very, very, very similar, and people find themselves very comfortable. But you're right, I mean, um, then going to Romanian or, or some other kind of Orthodox or Eastern Eastern Rite uh, is is vastly different. I mean, the, the 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 ceremony itself, the liturgy itself, is also very different. There's certainly a liturgy of the Word. There's certainly a liturgy of the Eucharist. But the way that plays out in reality is 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 radically different than what we would experience either in the Roman tradition, the Roman Catholic Mass, or in the Episcopal tradition. Which, by the way, in our prayer book, we we are free to also call it a Mass. So, um, uh, so yeah, so you're, you're right. People would feel far more comfortable here than they would if they were at, at, at a Greek Orthodox church or, or any of the other Eastern Rite churches. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, and with me today is Father Christian Broccato from St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we are talking about the history of the Anglican Communion and how it is reflected in the Netflix series, The Crown. So, question. Uh, Oh, before I ask that question, something else just popped into my head that I was thinking a few minutes ago. The fact that we're talking about the split between Rome and London it happened around the same general time as the Protestant Reformation. I'm curious if there was dialogue amongst uh, those people from the Church of England 
uh, uh, Calvin or his acolytes and Luther and his following? Was there is there any shared history there, or did yes, it just sir. happen to a coincidence? Oh, you're doing this. Oh, we're doing the same thing. Yeah, it, it it seems that Luther was a little bit ahead of, ahead of of other people, but there are actually letters back and forth uh, from Cramner and and others in the, in, in England uh, writing writing to and from from Luther. So, I I oftentimes when I teach this class called Encore's class, I oftentimes think of this as like there was there was reform in the drinking water, and it wasn't just between those two countries. Uh, there were many other countries. Um, you know, uh, Switzerland and, and Bohemia, all kinds of different places had found had found themselves really at odds with what was going on in the Christian tradition, which of course was the Roman Catholic tradition. And so, so there 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 was a, uh, there was a concerted movement, and there was dialogue between between Luther um, and some of the reformers in in England at in the early 1500s. So now let's let's get into the uh, series. Uh, that we're here to talk about the crown. So you are American. You are uh, you are not a monarchist. Uh, otherwise, you probably wouldn't be American. And yet, uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth II is considered the head of the Anglican Church. What what sort of relationship does an American Episcopalian have with the sovereign of England. Well, let's 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 back up just a little bit and say, um, just do, do a little bit of a distinguishing characteristic, and that is, I think I think the Queen would think of herself as the titular head of the Church of England. She probably would not think of herself as the titular head of the Anglican Communion, um, and so that would indicate that all of these churches throughout some eighty-five different churches around the world, you know, certainly have. Um, honor and respect the queen, uh, but really don't really look to her as the titular head of of, of those individual churches. So we certainly don't do that. Um, you know, it was in, um, in the, the, the uh, I'm fascinated by by the the revolution because at the time of the revolution, of course, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, was really very strong in the United States, and really it it, it was at Christ Church, Philadelphia. Uh, it's either in 1776 or 1777 that the actual break with the Church of England actually happened. And in, in, in one of their display cases in their parish hall is the actual writing, the actual document of those who signed this document actually breaking with the Church of England. The, the challenge then for the Church here in the United States was that all of the bishops had come from England. And so in order to maintain that apostolic succession, which is very, very important to us in the Episcopal Church, um, there's a, there was a whole process that, uh, that anybody that, that wanted to be uh, ordained a, a, as a bishop had to go through. So that, that's a whole other story. Um, but uh, so I personally have great affection for the monarchy, the queen, and the history um, of, 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 of that whole tradition. Um, though I don't think of her as the head of my church. And so what relationship uh, do you have with uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury? So the Archbishop of Canterbury is the Episcopal Church's Archbishop. So the Archbishop of Canterbury is essentially the sort of the, the titular head of the entire communion, the entire world, although there are other archbishops 
case in point, the Archbishop of uh, of York, in some ways, is 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 a very powerful Archbishop. But 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 the Archbishop of Canterbury is the is the head of the entire Anglican Communion, and he is our Archbishop. So in our prayers, the people. Every Sunday morning, we pray for Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury. Now, he doesn't exercise the same kind of ecclesiastical authority that a Roman Catholic archbishop does, uh, nor do our bishops. Um, it's a very different kind of polity. Uh, but all of another distinguishing characteristic is that that uh, that I, as the priest of this parish, was elected um, uh, by the search committee. We elect our bishops. And uh, the, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury goes through a kind of electoral kind of process, a long, lengthy process, but he is actually appointed, finally appointed, by the Queen of England. So that's one of her major roles in terms of her oversight of the Church of England, is to make the final appointment um, of the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is a big deal, uh, and that's historically a big deal. And and do you know is is that selection a formality or is it genuine? Because so much oh, of what, I, you know what what the, what the queen does is a formality. Somebody says, "Oh, here you're 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 doing this today," and she does it. <laughs> well, I think it's probably a, a formality that's also very serious, you know, because it's historical and it goes back, you know, many many centuries. Um, and uh, and, I, and and she takes that very seriously. If you ever if you watched the the, the consecration uh, of the uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin or his predecessors, I mean it, it's an amazing event uh, and and taken very very seriously. And because the Archbishop of Canterbury, I mean, like all all bishops in the Anglican tradition, you know, adhere to the apostolic succession, basically meaning to the apostles. So, so she is actually consecrating and, and making present an archbishop that that we do very much believe is 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 in in communion, if you will, with um, the, the the first apostles, which is called the apostolic succession. So. Uh, shorthand answer, how do you think the Anglican tradition and religion in general is portrayed uh, in the series The Crown? Do you think that they they give it the uh, the import that it deserves? You know, I'm I'm in the middle of the fourth season, <laughs> and uh, and I, it is absolutely fascinating. Uh, and as we know, and and, and as uh, the the British government has has you know tried to uh, uh, to, to to get the producers uh, to to say you know that some of these things are fact and some of these things are are dramatic um, intentions, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think the Church of England. I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot about the Church of England in in, in the series. Um, it seems much more kind of focusing on individual persons and and, and individual situations, many many of which are are historically documented. Whether or not they they are as uh, as as uh, as the series actually portrays them may may be a different story. Um, but uh, I I think that that. There, there's less about the Church of England in the crown than actually about what it means for, for Elizabeth to be the monarch. Well, it's true that uh, there are many episodes where religion uh, is, isn't brought up at all, but there are a few where it, it is somewhat central. So, for instance, um, well, 
Let's talk about the episode, I forget which season, where the, uh, I believe it is her sister, uh, uh, yes, her sister, um, uh, Margaret, uh, she wants to marry a divorced man, uh, 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 Peter Townsend, uh, not the Peter Townsend we all love and know, uh, who wrote Won't Get Fooled Again, but another Peter Townsend, who, um, again, is divorced, and so Elizabeth meets with uh, the the heads of the Anglican Church, and they are quite hard and fast that this cannot happen in the church. Um, so I'm I'm curious. Let's let's. Uh, we only have a few minutes here. Uh, we have three minutes. So if you can answer this in three minutes, I'd appreciate that very much, uh, Christian. Um, yeah. Okay. So I. I Yes. So um, the Anglican Church, uh, I can talk probably more to to the Episcopal Church, but, you know, um, does does not look lightly on on divorce, um, very much like our Roman Catholic uh, counterparts. However... Um, in our Book of Common Prayer, by the way, every every church in the the, uh, the Anglican Communion, one of the things that unites us is that we have this Book of Common Prayer, which has has all of our prayer rites and all of those kinds of things, but also has the teachings and the dogmas and you know the the things that we adhere to, um, uh, the doctrines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so um, the the Episcopal Church does allow divorce, but only only if it's like the last resort. So. I, my guess is, and I, this is my guess, is that is because the monarchy is the monarchy, um, uh, that they may actually be held to a different standard. You know that that divorce w- would be historically much, 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 much harder um, and and much difficult to to actually uh, achieve or uh, or get, if you will, um, than for the regular citizen. You know. Um, and uh, in part because of what it represents. It, it, and yet Henry was able to get a divorce. Henry, yes, several. <laughs> yes. <laughs> several. Maybe, maybe he used them all up. Right. Well, and, and, and remember, too, I mean, when you probably know this, in the early, I mean, when by the time Henry died, you know, the church, the church had become cer- certainly more reformed um, or after Henry's death, than uh, than than Henry would have experienced it. Uh, but then, with when Mary came back onto the throne, then it became Roman Catholic again. So the church in the in the in the 1500s and into the 1600s really kind of went back and forth, back and forth. Are we going to be more Roman Catholic? Are we going to be more Protestant or Reformed? Back and forth, back and forth. Got it. And divorce is a big part of that because in the Roman Church, divorce is simply is really not allowed. Um, and uh, it is possible, certainly, but, you know, like in our tradition, um, if, if, if you were to get divorced, would never be denied the sacrament in the Episcopal Church. Well, listen, Christian, we are out of time for this session of Common Threads, but more questions to ask about the Crown and the Anglican Communion, the Episcopal Church, so I'd love it if you'd be able to join us next week. I'd be happy to do that. Thanks so much, Fred. You're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, and with me today, Father Christian Brocato. We're talking about, as I just mentioned, the Anglican Communion, the Episcopal Church, and the TV series The Crown. Please join us again here on WGVU. 
Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Well, I relented. After hearing so much about the Netflix series The Crown, I finally, at the urge of my lovely wife, tuned into season one just a few weeks ago. And boom, I was hooked. My main reasons for passing on it before were, one, well, I really try to regulate my TV watching, not wanting to dedicate too much time to it, and two, I've just never had much interest in England's royals. I've always been confused and amused about how much the House of Windsor has captured the attention and fascination of my fellow countrymen. I mean, didn't we fight a war to be rid of royal dominion? And we haven't even followed Canada's example of having a sort of distant cousin's relationship with them. And yet, the sovereign and her brood still seem to hold sway over us, though we haven't been subjects of the crown for over 200 years. But nonetheless, the series The Crown is a masterful work, weaving history and fiction together in a remarkably compelling tale. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you know that one thing we really enjoy here is exploring the sacred when it is embedded in the mundane. One of our earliest programs was on the way religion was offered in The Simpsons. So I've been paying attention to how religion is also portrayed in The Crown. As you might know, the reigning sovereign is not only the head of state, but the titular head of the Church of England. So I thought I'd invite someone who knows a bit more than I do to discuss the subject of the series. So with us here today is Father Christian Brocato, who is a priest in the Anglican Communion here in the United States. That is, he is Episcopalian. A little bit about uh, Father Brocato. Uh, he is originally from Helena, Arkansas, and his education consists of time spent at the University of Cincinnati, University of Minnesota, and the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis. And currently, he is the rector of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in downtown Grand Rapids. So we welcome 
to Common Threads, Christian Bricado. Hello, Christian. Hello, Fred, and uh, thanks for having me on. Certainly, certainly. We, I appreciate that. When I was thinking of people uh, who might uh, be someone to speak on this, you were the first person that came to mind, and I something told me you were a fan as well. So <laughs> that's why I reached out, and you indicated immediately that you're a fan of the crown. So let's, let's talk about the Anglican Communion uh, write-off so we, we understand exactly uh, uh, what we're dealing with. So you are Episcopalian. Um, you are part of what is called the Anglican Communion. So first, let's go way back. And, you know, it's interesting, the, the f- uh, very first time, I remember it was probably in high school maybe, maybe college, but probably high school, where I heard of the Church of England. It was explained to me by a Catholic. And l- tell me if you are familiar with this real shorthand version of the so-called history of the Anglican Church, and that is that King Henry was uh, a Catholic. Uh, yeah, Henry VIII, he was a Catholic. He wanted a divorce. The, the Catholic Church wouldn't let him have a divorce, so he said, to heck with you guys, I'll just start my own church. So he starts the Church of England, which is similar to Catholicism, but except he's the head and he gets to divorce and dispatch as many wives as he wants to. I suspect I'm, I'm missing something <laughs> in that history. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, no, yeah. no. I mean, have you have you heard that before? It, it, it is it is uh, the common notion among lots and lots of people. Uh, however, um, let's just go back a little bit to the worldwide Anglican Communion and uh, to address that kind of first. But the the communion itself is the third largest Christian communi- communion in the world, and with over eighty five million members in many many different countries, um, and. You know, it's it's taken a while for that to develop, but the kind of the misnomer is that Henry did found the Church of England, but it's simply not true. Um, Henry, as you stated, was was Catholic, Roman Catholic, and in many ways lived and died um, a practicing Catholic. Apparently, his prayer book was in is in, was in Latin, and he attended services mass in in Latin. Um, but when he broke with Rome, and just prior to his breaking with Rome, he had been given the the, the great title of Defender of the Faith uh, in, in England. So um, he was very much attached uh, to to the to, to Rome uh, and, and certainly to the papacy. Yes, it, it, is, it is true that when he wanted to get a divorce, he, because the Roman Church doesn't allow divorce, um, he did break with Rome. But the history of the Church of England dates back all the way to at least at least the end of the first century or the second century uh, with the Celtic tradition, which eventually evolved into what we would call today the Church of England. Um, in, in, in addition, um, Augustine of Canterbury was sent from Rome, from the Pope in Rome, in the, uh, the late 500s, uh, to officially um, have, have a, a, a residential presence, if you will, uh, in, the, in the British Isles. So that's late 5th, 
500s. So um, that basically means that the Church of England was was well established even by that time. So when when Henry comes along and 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 cuts ties with Rome, the Church of England was well established. So he didn't found the the, the Church of England, nor did he found uh, the Anglican tradition. Um, one thing that's pretty fascinating is that the word the word Anglican itself can actually be traced back to the Magna Carta in the year 1215, uh, where it talks about uh, uh, the the Ang- the Anglican Church shall be free, and Anglicana. And it really isn't until the 19th century that that word Anglican um, really came into widespread use, and that was when. When, when the communion was being formed in the 19th century with all of these different disparate churches all around the world, by the way, of which the Episcopal churches is just one major part of the Anglican communion. So is there, when I think of Anglicans, I think of Anglicans who are in England or in one of the dominions. People actually refer to themselves as Anglicans. And I also think of Episcopalians if I'm thinking of people in uh, in America. What right. are some of the other uh, denominations that are in communion with the Anglican Church? Well, the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church is is now very much uh, uh, in, in in communion. Um, what that happened a number of years ago now, but it was it was basically determined that there weren't enough distant uh, differences between the two traditions, um, although there certainly are some subtle differences. Um, and uh, there is uh, there's significant dialogue, actually, with uh, the United Presbyterian Church. I mean, not the Presbyterian, the Methodist Church, sorry, um, because of, of uh, again, many similarities. But the truth is, in some ways, the, the Anglican Church, the, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, which are really the same thing, um, it is far more Roman Catholic um, and adheres more to Roman Catholic kinds of, of, of polity and, uh, and even theology in many ways than it does with, with the, the, the more Protestant tradition. So in the 16th century, uh, and, and certainly into the 17th century, the, um, the, 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 the hierarchy, the, the Church in England as it, as it was, began to talk about itself um, in terms of the middle way, and that is embracing many Roman Catholic practices, theology, the, the historical uh, episcopate, um, uh, the, the creeds, and all of these things that date back to the earliest church, including the early church fathers. So in many ways, the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, is more like the Roman Catholic Church than it would be more like uh, traditional Protestant denom- denominations. Yeah, I've, I've actually been in conversations uh, where people did not really like the designation of Protestant placed upon people who were Episcopalian. Right, yeah, and that's true. Uh, in fact, I traditionally don't refer to us. Um, uh, we were, when, 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 we, when the, the Episcopal Church was founded um, after the Revolutionary War, the official title did have Protestant in it. Uh, it was a number of years ago now that the word Protestant was actually uh, was abandoned, if you will. A much more apt word, I think, is Reformed. I mean, the idea, even with Martin Luther, 
um, uh, in the early 1500s was to reform the Church from within the Church, the Roman Church, and not to, not to establish a new denomination. Um, uh, and, and the same thing, I, I would assume, uh, in the early in the in the early 1500s, with the uh, after Henry broke, you know, Cramner and friends, you know, were really crafting um, not so much a completely new tradition, but a, a tradition based on what had gone before. A, a really significant thing, however, for the Episcopal Church, and, and certainly for Lutheran the Lutheran Lutheran tradition, is uh, the vernacular. So the idea, you know widespread in the in the actually in the 1400s and into the 1500s was the need for people to worship in their own native languages and rome would have no part of that i mean that that as as you may know i mean it wasn't really until the second vatican council in the 1960s um that uh, latin was abandoned um uh and replaced by the vernacular throughout the world so there are there are many there are many differences, and, and, uh, but I think there are many similarities. I teach a class here um, every year called the Inquirer's Class, and, uh, and we spend a great deal of time talking about the similarities and the differences between the Anglican tradition of the Episcopal Church uh, and that of the Roman Church. Um, so there are, uh, there are many, many similarities. Uh, the sacramental life, bishops, priests, uh, archbishops and, and hierarchical kinds of things, canons, and canon law, things like that, which are really very different than some of our uh, uh, more Protestant uh, or Reformed uh, brothers and sisters. You know, what's interesting, too, is if you took a Roman Catholic, a, a garden variety Roman Catholic, and you sent him to an Episcopal uh, communion service, uh, I would sus- and then... The next Sunday, you sent him to uh, a Catholic church of the Eastern Rite, uh, such as Ukrainian Catholic uh, or Romanian Catholic. I would suspect that that person, once he experienced both uh, liturgies, would feel much more comfortable and at home in your Episcopalian service as opposed to an Eastern Rite service, which, although they are in communion with Rome, uh, their their liturgies are very much like Eastern Orthodox. Correct, yeah. In fact, most Roman Catholics who visit St. Mark's um, will say to me, and like in the receiving line, wow, it, it, it just felt the same to me. And, and indeed, the structure of the liturgy is essentially the same. Um, you know, there's an opening rite, there's the liturgy of the Word, there's the, the communion liturgy or the liturgy of the Holy Eucharist, there's the reception of the sacrament, uh, bread and wine, that we both refer to as the body and blood of Jesus, or the body and blood of Christ, um, and the dismissal. So the structure of the liturgy looks very, very, very similar, and people find themselves very comfortable. But you're right, I mean, um, then going to Romanian or, or some other kind of Orthodox or Eastern Eastern Rite uh, is is vastly different. I mean, the, the 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 ceremony itself, the liturgy itself, is also very different. There's certainly a liturgy of the Word. There's certainly a liturgy of the Eucharist. But the way that plays out in reality is 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 radically different than what we would experience either in the Roman tradition, the Roman Catholic Mass, or in the Episcopal tradition. Which, by the way, in our prayer book, we we are free to also call it a Mass. So, um, uh, so yeah. So you're you're right. People would feel far more comfortable here than they would if they were 
at, at, at a Greek Orthodox church or, or any of the other Eastern Rite churches. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, and with me today is Father Christian Broccato from St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we are talking about the history of the Anglican Communion and how it is reflected in the Netflix series, The Crown. So, question, uh, oh, before I ask that question, something else just popped into my head that I was thinking a few minutes ago. The fact that we are talking about the split between Rome and London, it happened around the same general time as the Protestant Reformation. I'm curious if there was dialogue amongst uh, those people from the Church of England uh, uh, Calvin or his acolytes and Luther and his following was there. Is there any shared history there, or did yeah, it just sure. happen to a coincidence? Oh, you're doing this. Oh, we're doing the same thing. Yeah, it it, it seems that Luther was a little bit ahead of, ahead of of other people, but there are actually letters back and forth uh, from Cramner and and others in the, in, in England uh, writing writing to and from from Luther. So. I, I oftentimes, when I teach this class called Encore's class, I oftentimes think of this as like there was there was reform in the drinking water, and it wasn't just between those two countries. Uh, there were many other countries, um, you know, uh, Switzerland and, and Bohemia, all kinds of different places had found had found themselves really at odds with what was going on in the Christian tradition, which of course was the Roman Catholic tradition. And so, so there, there, there was, uh, there was a concerted movement and there was dialogue between, between Luther um, and some of the reformers in, in England at, in the early 1500s. So now let's, let's get into the uh, series uh, that we're here to talk about the crown. So you are American. You are, uh, you are not a monarchist. Uh, otherwise, you probably wouldn't be American. And yet, uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth II is considered the head of the Anglican Church. What what sort of relationship does an American Episcopalian have with the sovereign of England? Well, let's 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 back up just a little bit and say. Um, just do, do a little bit of a distinguishing characteristic, and that is, I think I think the Queen would think of herself as the titular head of the Church of England. She probably would not think of herself as the titular head of the Anglican Communion, um, and so that would indicate that all of these churches throughout some eighty-five different churches around the world, you know, certainly have um, honor and respect the Queen. Uh, but really don't really look to her as the titular head of, of, of those individual churches. So we certainly don't do that. Um, you know, it was in, um, in the, 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 uh, I'm fascinated by, by the, the revolution because at the time of the revolution, of course, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, was really very strong in the United States. And really it, it, it was at Christ Church, Philadelphia, uh, it's either in 1776 or 1777 that the actual break with the Church of England actually happened. And in, in, in one of their display cases in their parish hall is the actual writing, the actual document of those who signed this document actually breaking with the Church of England. 
the, the challenge then for the Church here in the United States was that all of the bishops had come from England. And so in order to maintain that apostolic succession, which is very, very important to us in the Episcopal Church, um, there was a whole process that, uh, that anybody that, that wanted to be uh, ordained a, a, as a bishop had to go through. So that, that's a whole other story. Um, but, uh, so I personally have great affection for the monarchy, the queen, and the history um, of, 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 of that whole tradition. Um, though I don't think of her as the head of my church. And so what relationship uh, do you have with uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury? Is, is so the... the Archbishop of Canterbury is the Episcopal Church's Archbishop. So the Archbishop of Can- Canterbury is essentially the sort of the, the titular head of the entire communion, the entire world, although there are other archbishops Case in point, the Archbishop of uh, of York, in some ways, is 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 a very powerful Archbishop. But 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 the Archbishop of Canterbury is the is the head of the entire Anglican Communion, and he is our Archbishop. So, in our prayers to the people, every Sunday morning we pray for Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury. Now he doesn't exercise the same kind of ecclesiastical authority that a Roman Catholic Archbishop does, uh, nor do our bishops. Um, it's a very different kind of polity, uh, but all of another distinguishing characteristic is that that uh, that I, as the priest of this parish, was elected um, uh, by the search committee. We elect our bishops, and uh, the, the the Archbishop of Canterbury goes through a kind of electoral kind of process, a long, lengthy process, but he is actually appointed, finally appointed by the Queen of England. So that's one of her major roles in terms of her oversight of the Church of England is to make the final appointment um, of the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is a big deal, uh, and that's historically a big deal. And and do you know is is that selection a formality or is it genuine? Because so much oh, of what, I... you know what what the, what the Queen does is a formality. Somebody says, "Oh, here you're 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 doing this today," and she does it. <laughs> Well, I think it's probably a, a formality that's also very serious, you know, because it's historical and it goes back, you know, many many centuries. Um, and uh, and, I, and and she takes that very seriously. If you ever if you watched the the, the consecration uh, of the uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin or his predecessors, I mean, it, it's an amazing event uh, and and taken very very seriously. And because the Archbishop of Canterbury, I mean, like all all bishops in the Anglican tradition, you know, adhere to the apostolic succession, basically meaning to the apostles. So, so she is actually consecrating and, and making present an Archbishop that that we do very much believe is 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 in in communion, if you will, with um, the, the the first apostles, which is called the apostolic succession. So. Uh, shorthand answer, how do you think the Anglican tradition and religion in general is portrayed uh, in the series The Crown? Do you think that they they give it the uh, the import that it deserves? You know, I'm I'm in the middle of the fourth season, <laughs> and uh, and I, it is absolutely fascinating. Uh, and as we know, and and, and as uh, the the British government has has you know tried to uh, 
to 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 get the producers uh, to to say you know that some of these things are fact and some of these things are are dramatic um, intentions et cetera et cetera. I don't think the Church of England. I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot about the Church of England in in, in the series. Um, it seems much more kind of focusing on individual persons and and, and individual situations. Many, many of which are are historically documented, whether or not they they are as uh, as as uh, as the series actually portrays them may may be a different story. Um, but uh, I I think that that there there is less about the Church of England and the Crown than actually about what it means for for Elizabeth to be the monarch. Well, it's true that uh, there are many episodes where religion. Uh, is isn't brought up at all, but there are a few where it it is somewhat central. So, for instance, um, well, let's talk about the episode. I forget which season, where the uh, I believe it is her sister. Uh, uh, yes, her sister um, uh, Margaret. Uh, she wants to marry a divorced man, uh, 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 Peter Townsend. Uh, not the Peter Townsend we all love and know, uh, who wrote Won't Get Fooled Again, but another Peter Townsend, who, um, again, is divorced. And so Elizabeth meets with uh, the the heads of the Anglican Church, and they are quite hard and fast that this cannot happen in the church. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, let's, let's, uh, we only have a few minutes here. Uh, we have three minutes. So if you can answer this in three minutes, I'd appreciate that very much, uh, Christian. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, uh, yeah. So, um, the Anglican church, uh, the, we, I can talk probably more to, to the Episcopal church, but, you know, um, does, does not look lightly on, on divorce. Um, very much like our Roman Catholic uh, counterparts. However, um, in our Book of Common Prayer, by the way, every every church in the the, uh, the Anglican Communion, one of the things that unites us is that we have this Book of Common Prayer, which has has all of our prayer rites and all of those kinds of things, but also has the teachings and the dogmas and you know the the things that we adhere to, um, uh, the doctrines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so um, the, the Episcopal Church does allow divorce, but only only if it's like the last resort. So I, my guess is, and I, this is my guess, is that is because the monarchy is the monarchy, um, uh, that they may actually be held to a different standard. You know that that divorce w- would be historically much 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 harder. Um, and and much difficult to to actually uh, achieve or uh, or get, if you will, um, than for the regular citizen, you know, um, and uh, in, in part because of what it represents. It, it, and yet, Henry was able to get a divorce. Henry, yes, several. <laughs> yes, <laughs> several. Maybe maybe he used them all up. Right. Well, and, and, and remember, too, I mean, when you probably know this, that in the early, I mean, when by the time Henry died, you know, the church, the church had become cer- certainly more reformed 
um, or after Henry's death, then uh, then then Henry would have experienced it. Uh, but then, with when Mary came back onto the throne, then it became Roman Catholic again. So the church in the in the in the 1500s and into the 1600s really kind of went back and forth, back and forth. Are we going to be more Roman Catholic? Are we going to be more Protestant or Reformed? Back and forth, back and forth. Got it. And divorce is a big part of that because in the Roman Church, divorce is simply is really not allowed. Um, and uh, it is possible, certainly, but, you know, like in our tradition, uh, if, if, if you were to get divorced, would never be denied the sacrament in the Episcopal Church. Well, listen, Christian, we are out of time for this session of Common Threads, but more questions to ask about the Crown and the Anglican Communion, the Episcopal Church, so I'd love it if you'd be able to join us next week. I'd be happy to do that. Thanks so much, Fred. You're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, and with me today, Father Christian Broccato. We're talking about, as I just mentioned, the Anglican Communion, the Episcopal Church, and the TV series The Crown. Please join us again here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.